I've been to see Jerusalem, the play, which has been revived and is now showing in the West End of London. And it is brilliant. I see why people say it's the best play of recent times. Mark Rylance in the lead role is utterly astonishing, mesmerising. He's all the things that people say. And yet at the same time, it's so striking that this hugely celebrated play seems to me to be a lament. It's tragic, it's violent. It's about people who are lost. And as Jez Butterworth, the playwright, has said, this is not about the state of the nation today. It's not primarily a political or an economic comment on what's happening in, well, when he wrote it, or even now in the 2020s. It's about something much deeper. He says he wanted to write something timeless. And that is, he says, about life after the death of God, which reaches back for him to the Industrial Revolution and the modern enlightenment and I guess that's why in part it's called Jerusalem echoing William Blake's words because he wrote of those times and the dark satanic mills and the mineforge manacles and the eurozenic state of mind that lives through bureaucracy and statistics and the material exploitation of the world and knows nothing of spirit and inspiration and animation. Now, just to give the spoiler alert, but to continue, there are memories of animation in the woods that the lead role played by Mark Rylance remembers, but they're now hauntings. He's asked at one point, do you see ghosts? Do you see fairies? Do you see spirits? And he casts empty spells. And he tells tall stories which are mesmerising and meaningless at the same time. He himself is a deeply disturbed figure, quite narcissistic. The psychotherapist in me thought he even likens himself to Jesus semi-consciously at one point saying that he was born of a virgin and even claims to go beyond that making a witty comment about how his mother at the moment of conception was in one postcode and his father was in another and so he's the first person in history to have been conceived in two postcodes at once it's funny and it's self-inflating he's even more than Jesus. There's a lot of drugs amidst the humour, but a tragic use of drugs, people seeking them, desiring them, needing them for quick kick, for proxy connection, just to kind of get through the day with its dreariness and boredom. They turn to drugs rather than work out their troubles. And the humour too is not of the comedic sort. You're left in the tragedy. There's no comedy after the tragedy to come. And so humour just falls into a gag, a good line. And they are good lines. But nonetheless, it's hopeless. And there's no delight. There's no horizon. There's no joy to look forward to. Even friendship by the end and human connection, which has sustained a lot of the warmth of the play, 
breaks down and leaves everything a bloody mess on the ground. The clue, again, is in the title. Jerusalem, Blake's famous words, are sung, but they're sung in lament, as if a lullaby for a baby that's already gone. They're sung by the May Queen in the last hours of her time, with no understanding, with a sense that they're often sung, I guess, now. Somehow they're rousing, somehow they're connected with this land, England, and yet it's not really clear why or how. This is Jerusalem sung in an age that would put William Blake in a brain scanner to understand him, would rather diagnose him than understand his visions, as has recently been written about him. It excises his religious side, which is so manifest when you read his words, I don't think out of any particularly anti-religiosity, but simply because people don't know what to do with it now. It reminds me of an age that would read Dante in the Divine Comedy and love the Inferno, find so much in the Inferno and not begin to understand the Paradiso, even discard it as if it doesn't really matter. And yet, all is not entirely lost because... Blake is called on. Jerusalem, this inner place of fullness and knowing, this connection to the wellspring that is both intimate in all things and transcends all things. Calling on Blake and Jerusalem is a good move. The way the words sung as the hymn come from Blake's play Milton. And this unconscious reference perhaps is important too because Blake saw that Milton is inspired, he is a poet, he is prophetic, but he became confused because of the times in which he lived. And so in his epic poem, Milton, Blake calls Milton back from heaven to sing of the gospel, not to sing a satanic version of it. He wants Milton to relate to that which gives birth, not to the pseudo delights of reigning in hell rather than being ruled in heaven as Blake as Milton's Satan famously puts it the character that's so loved in the modern world the preface in which the words of Jerusalem appear also laments the fragmentation of the world in which we live it laments that the Bible for example is pitched against Plato and other inspired Greek writers rather than seeing that they're together calling on the one source. It's a bit like the story of civilization, as was recently retold, where it's felt that multiple voices must tell it, re rehearsing multiple stories, refusing as if somehow a taboo or an idol, the idea that there might be a unity intimated behind this glorious diversity. No, we must stick to the diversity and also must stick to the memory, what's happened. We can't speak about what's happening now and anticipate what might happen in the future. As Blake puts it, we love the daughters of memory, but must learn to love the daughters of inspiration so we aren't just stuck in the past held down by guilt without forgiveness, held down by what's gone wrong without intimations of how that can pivot into more. As ever, Blake is 
remarkably prescient, even of our times. The preface continues, it says, Rouse up, O young men of the new age. Set your foreheads against the ignorant hirelings, for we have hirelings in the camp, the court, and the university, who would, if they could, forever depress mental and prolong corporeal war. He spots what's going on in the universities that would depress the imaginative mental side of things and instead prolong well, corporeal war, literal war he's thinking of, but the war of culture. Instead, Blake turns to those who might rescue us from this dreadful predicament. Painters on you, I call, he says, sculptors, architects, suffer not the fashionable fools to depress your powers by the prices they pretend to give for contemptible works. Good comment there on the art market. Or the expensive advertising boasts that they make of such works. Again, my goodness, how precedent is that? The expensive advertising boasts. Instead, Blake continues, believe Christ and his apostles that there is a class of men whose whole delight is in destroying the hermeneutics of suspicion that's taken over the world and knows nothing of the hermeneutics of beauty, as I recently heard it described, that can open us into new worlds, not critique and close down possibility. But Blake would say, as we call on him, instead of calling on the desperate invocation of the giants, which are called on at the end of Jerusalem, the play, those mountains of unintegrated emotion and blind rage and bloody mounds of flesh. Instead of calling on those giants, Blake says, call on eternity, call on the source, the wellspring. Don't ask to possess, but instead ask to embrace, to kiss it as it flies. Don't turn to the empty priest religions of our time, be they in clerical dress or indeed in the mode of scientism. Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets, Blake says in the preface to Milton too. As he says, know Jesus, know the vanguard who invites us to be in God as he was in God who invites us to know the divine vision as he radiated the divine vision, invites us to give all in order to be in all, with all, of all, from all, returning to all. And it's at that moment that the famous words are written and did those feet in ancient times walk upon England's mountains green? And was the Holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. <laughs>